Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our semi-final review episode. As eight teams two weeks ago became six teams last week, became four teams as of last night. The top four on the ladder post home and away are the top four who are through to the preliminary finals. Collingwood and St Kilda now both in mothballs for this year. The good news, Pies fans and Saints fans and Doggies fans and Eagles fans, is we will have a comprehensive review of your team's seasons. But first, we will have a comprehensive review of both this weekend's Semi-finals, as I say, very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Good. I'm Mark Fine. I've done some things and seen some stuff. Okay. What are you alluding to there? Well, no, no, no. I I just think, you know, to solidify my presence, I need a sign-on or a sign-off. Now, except for the last rant, you always have your traditional, I'm pissed off, Finey. Yeah. And, you know, g'day, everyone. There's some, you've got some good indicative landmarks in your speech. And I was watching Ripley's Believe It or Not this morning, and it is hosted by this dunderhead called Jim Campbell. And he walks on, he goes, I'm an actor, and I've done some things and seen some stuff, but (laughs) nothing like you're about to see in the next half an hour. Well, I'm assuming that guy is the inspiration behind the Simpsons sadly no longer with us character Troy McClure played by Phil Hartman I mean that guy that that what a what a moron and yeah so that's my call sign dumb things seen stuff all right well we've got plenty of things and stuff to talk about in this episode I'll tell you what I'd like to talk about first though Finey hamburgers well that's some of the stuff that I've stuffed in my mouth Andrew's hamburgers 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Oh, boy. Uh, The longer I am without an Andrews hamburger, and I've got to say, it's been a couple of weeks now, the more I yearn for it. Because, you know what? We're starting to get a bit repetitive in the kitchen here at the Fine Household, and it's all a bit aeroplane food to me, my cooking, my wife's cooking, and I've just... I want to just munch down on a beautiful Andrews hamburger, professionally made, perfectly made. I don't measure up. Nobody measures up. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And as we say every week, it's the tender meat patties. It's the soft yet firm yet still giving buns, buns to die for. It is the vegetables, the lettuce, the tomatoes, beating with garden freshness. Any other extras you care to add, it's just mouth-watering. It's delectable. Get down there if you're within the five-kilometre radius. If you're not, just continue to fantasise like I do. Yes, that's it. I've been reduced not to having sexual fantasies, but to fantasies about fast food. But, boy, it's so good. It could almost be a sexual experience devouring an Andrew's hamburger. I'll tell you what else I want to talk about before we start. Finey, and and you your may think your psychiatric problems. No, well, you may think this isn't a sexy subject, but I I think if it's quality enough, it actually can be almost erotic, and that is a great home renovation. Absolutely, 
there are no better erections in the inner southeastern suburbs of Melbourne that was than very good. erected by Nick Spartels and his West Point properties. They are built with not only an eye for detail, but an eye for quality. So if you're like Rowan and when you go to sleep at night, all you can think of are burgers and buildings, make sure it's a West Point property build that you're dreaming about. And magnificent use of the word erection there. Couldn't have done it better myself. All right. Uh, thanks, as always, to our magnificent sponsors. Uh, we had a couple of big semi-finals to break down in full graphic, vivid, juicy detail as the uh, gratuitous sexual illusions continue. Let's do that now. On Footyology, wrap around. Friday evening, Metricon Stadium. It was Richmond taking on St Kilda, the first finals clash between these two teams since 1973, believe it or not. And in the end, it was a similar sort of result. In fact, I didn't look up the margin from that 73 game, but I think it was around the same sort of mark. It was a 31-point win to the Tigers, 12 goals, 8-80, defeating the Saints, a very inaccurate, 6-13-49. The goals, three to Shy Bolton, two to Tom Lynch, two to Shane Edwards, singles to Castagna, Martin, McIntosh, Prestia, and Rioli. All single goal kickers for the Saints. Battle, Butler, Kent, Ross, Savage, and Steele. And I'm getting a bit tired of saying this, but how many games this season has victory basically been set up in the opening term? That's where Richmond uh, put their clutches around the neck of this game. They were on song from the very first bounce. In fact, they had their first goal in under a minute through Tom Lynch, a second from Shane Edwards about seven minutes in. They were dominating the takeaways from the middle. Shane Savage put the Saints on the board, but then a bracket of three quick goals from the Tigers in only a four-minute burst. Two of them to Shy Bolton, who was just terrific in that first quarter. Uh, one to Camden McIntosh, who was also playing some great footy. And territorially, this was Richmond dominating 15 to 8, the inside 50s, by the time they had kicked their fifth goal of the quarter. A late one to uh, Butler gave the Saints a bit of a sniff, but uh, it was already at quarter time looking a bit ominous, Finey, didn't you think? Yeah, not so much. I mean, the scoreboard was a problem for St Kilda in and of itself, of course. But the nature of the um, way that Richmond were getting their goals was probably a confirmation that St Kilda were going to miss Paddy Ryder beyond accountability. Uh, you couldn't put a, a, a number, a measure in terms of score on what damage was being caused out of the middle by Richmond, not famous for winning clearances, certainly not uh, stoppages, certainly not centre clearances. But on this night, early, they were ploughing the ball out of the middle with ease. And the actual goals kicked by Richmond, um, look, they were kicking them from everywhere. 
to be honest, it wasn't as though they were coming out of the middle and hitting players on the chest. But there were so many opportunities that skillful players like Bolton were seizing on them. And to that end, already St Kilda were missing Ben Long, probably their best backman in terms of reading the ball off the fall of the pack. So absentees were going to be a problem, but Richmond were flexing their muscle and a very, very, very late show goal by Dan Butler made the scoreboard less damaging than what the game really was because with St Kilda getting beaten out of the middle, that's really where Richmond may be sometimes uh, vulnerable. Well, everywhere else, they were beautiful. Sure hands out of the back line. Wasn't Liam Baker great in that first quarter, Rowan? He was. He was terrific. You mentioned that late goal by Butler. It did seem to revive the Saints a bit. And early on in the second quarter, they actually had their chances to work their way back into this. Misses, gettable shots at goal, missed by Billings first, by uh, Marsh, and then by Max King. Uh, left St Kilda at 2-5. And of course, predictably in those circumstances, the other side gets one opportunity and nails it. That's what Shane Edwards did. He was playing a much better game in his second game back for the Tigers. Jack Steele kept the Saints hanging about. That made the difference 14 points, but arguably the game-deciding burst, and Richmond are great at these bursts of scoring. Another three-goal bracket in uh, about five and a half minutes. Rioli the first, Lynch the second after a lovely pass from Basha Hooley. And then Shy Bolton again after a clearance from Dustin Martin, who was pretty predictably um, playing a fanta- another fantastic final. He's going to end up one of the best finals players of all time, I think. By that stage, just before halftime, the gap was out to 32 points. And in this season of shortened quarters, that is a chasm. Didn't give the Saints much chance of getting up from there when they came off at halftime, Finey, did you? No, but, I mean, to St Kilda's credit, they did win contest, territory, battle, and the arm wrestle for the first part of that quarter. So, in that regard, unlike the game we'll discuss from the day after, from the night after, there was a response, and it was a positive response. But Richmond, again, showed their clinical class up in their forward line. And quite frankly, at that stage, um, St Kilda had really a number of uh, a, a number of issues. Dougal Howard not handling Tom Lynch. Fall of the ball action in the Richmond forward line being... Not that St Kilda were missing in action there, but really, I'll, I'll just describe it as brilliance by Bolton and Edwards was too much. And as you said, Dustin Martin imposing himself, Richmond still winning the clearances. St Kilda's, I guess, um, better showing that quarter was came about with Hunter Clark moving on the ball and Steele starting to play better football. He hadn't had a great final against the Doggies, a bit of a slow start against Richmond. He started to play in his all-Australian form. So they went in 32 points down. And really, you know, probably, and you'll take it up from here, but um, up till the five-minute mark of the next quarter, of the last quarter, uh, St Kilda were 
holding their own. In fact, doing even better than that. Yeah, well, Saints third term, uh, no doubt their best period of the game. They won the third quarter with two goals to one. Again, though, those missed opportunities proving critical. Josh Battle missed one early on in that third term. Rowan Marshall missed a gettable one. I think at that stage, um, the Saints had one goal five from set shots and were three eight on the scoreboard. And uh, Richmond, with fewer opportunities, just nailed theirs. A good example, Dion Prestia uh, on the run from about 40 metres. Richmond's only major of the quarter. Battle and Kent were the Saints goal kickers. Max King hit the post. That was another opportunity that left them 4-11. Um, you know, if you're down against the Tigers, you've got to nail every opportunity. And this was one occasion, unfortunately, for the Saints where they certainly couldn't that, do that. So three-quarter time, the margin a tick under four goals. And given that the uh, biggest three-quarter time deficit that any team has overhauled in 2020 is 16 points, that is amazing. Yeah. Uh, you all, everything basically pointed to a Richmond win. Uh, Seb Ross got their first goal the last quarter, finally. That pulled it back to 17 points. And off, uh, and off the back of really great play by Hunter Clark, heavy traffic, um, balance, pick the ball up, head over the ball, and then a beautiful scything pass to Tim Membry, who hand-passed over the top to Ross. At that point, St Kilda's not playing bad football. And what happens after that really describes Richmond as the football team, as the finals team that they are. All right, so St Kilda are within three goals. And it's fair to say since half-time... They've had most of the play. And, you know, the response by Richmond was quick and emphatic. At least St Kilda supporters didn't have to hang around to wonder whether Richmond were able to um, respond in kind, were they? No, and they also have players capable of just imposing themselves in a short period. And I thought um, terrific for Richmond in that final quarter was Toby Dan Curvis, who uh, really sort of capitalised on the absence of Ryder. He wants some critical uh, hit-outs at the start of that last term. The Tigers got the critical clearances. Was Castagna about five and a half minutes in, made the margin 23 points again. Always going to be hard at that point. And a bit of soaking up time. They're pretty good at doing that too, Richmond. Eventually a curling up and up left foot snap from Dustin Martin, snaked over the line. 29 points then and game, set and match I say this though for you Saints so far, they certainly never threw in the towel. They kept plugging away. And one of those finals defeats where I think the defeated side, uh, yes, they'll be disappointed, but uh, there's no doubt, and we'll get to St Kilda's season review, but they would have been coming away from this game thinking, you know what, we've made some pretty good progress. We're not that far off the pace. I'll tell you that internally, you know, I've had some chats in the last 24 hours, um, they're, they're a bit disappointed in what they consider as an opportunity not taken, to be honest. They they feel as though they, um, they went missing for parts of the game, but they contested equally and manfully for the rest of the game. And look, what they didn't do was find out exactly how many gears Richmond has got. You know, this did not become the desperate battle that Richmond are so expert in in big games. So I think simply to um, 
you know, say that they competed for the main part of the game. Yeah, that's fine. But to win the game, no. I will say this for the beaten brigade, that they, at no point in that game, did they give up the ghost and a couple of their players that St Kilda have rated very highly have a bit to go. You know, Rowan Marshall was bested by Nan Curvis and Howard bested by Lynch. And they're young players, relatively speaking, for big men. And they'll put size and experience onto those frames and learn a bit more about finals footy in the future. Well, it was good to see them at least in the finals. So season over for the Saints. Richmond prevailing by 31 points through to a preliminary final against Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, which, of course, we will preview on Thursday. That Rowan, was the- I ask you very quickly, any changes to that Richmond team? Arts was surprisingly left out. Could you see him forcing his way back in? Yeah, I could. I think uh, there's a uh, an argument for Richmond perhaps being a little more mobile against Port. Um, but uh, time will tell. They've certainly got plenty of pressure on for spots in that 22. So Richmond to take on Port Adelaide. That was the first of the knockout semis. Let's talk about the other one. Saturday night at the Gabba was Geelong taking on Collingwood. This one, much anticipation about this game. Really a toss of the coin job in terms of which side the pundits were going to tip. Well, it didn't pan out like that at all because this was an absolute hiding dished out by the Cats at their absolute best in this game. Collingwood, unfortunately, just looked like the proverbial case of a team that had played one game too many. They looked tired. They looked flat after that epic win in Perth. And they were duly destroyed. The final margin, 68 points. The Cats, 15-10-100, defeating Collingwood, 5-2-32. In fact, at halftime, Collingwood had been kept to just one scoring shot at three-quarter time. They were two scoring shots. This was absolute dominance by the Cats. The goal kickers, four to Dangerfield, terrific up forward. Four to Tom Hawkins, had his kicking boots on this week. Singles to Dalhouse, Guthrie, Menegola, Myers, Selwood, Stanley and Tui. For the Pies, four of their five goals coming in effectively junk time in that last quarter. Two to Majacek, singles to Elliott, Grundy and Stevenson. Well, Finey, the start of this game, gee, you thought Richmond looked switched on at the start on Friday night. Well, it was doubly so for the Cats in this game. Right from the outset, they had Paddy Dangerfield stationed up forward. They had uh, three goals on the board within 15 minutes. One to Tui, one to Stanley, one to Myers. They doubled Collingwood's disposal count by about 10 minutes in. They were smashing them for contested ball. The inside 50s were lopsided. And Geelong's transition with the footy from end to end Uh, just seemed to be unimpeded. A real surprising lack of pressure from the Pies and it just had, pardon the pun, danger, danger written all over it in that first quarter. Even as Jamie Elliott got the Pies first on the board, Geelong had already missed a couple of chances. When Tom Hawkins uh, got his first of the evening, it was 4-4 
to one straight and uh, things looking very ominous already in that first quarter. <laughs> ominous to say the least. I mean, it was like, you know what it was like? It was like um, when they bring the food out in the media centre at the MCG. You've got to be quick. The pies went missing. And did they go missing what? Look, I mean, we can discuss it probably at the end of the actual Max review. This was such an extraordinarily poor effort that it needs to be looked at, I think, beyond the confines of the first to last siren. There's more to this, and I I think there is more to it. But we should not take away from Geelong's ability against lesser opposition to execute superbly a game plan that had one very, very simple message, and that was don't let Collingwood get the ball. And I don't think I've ever seen that executed as immaculately in a game of Oh, certainly not in the finals. I've never seen a finals game where one team I, played keepings off to the nature of what we had today, uh, last night. Yeah, it, it was amazing. I'll tell you what, if one passage of play uh, effectively was to sum up a game, this would be the one. The opening bounce of the second quarter, a quick clearance to the Cats. Ball goes in long and high. Paddy Dangerfield comes charging out from the goal square splits the pack completely, leaving three Collingwood uh, opponents prone on the turf. The ball falls to Tom Hawkins. He handballs out to Luke Dalhouse, who casually checks sides from straight in front. Another goal. 21 seconds was all it took, but it had everything. It had the the uh, quick offloading of um, possession from the centre square. It had power with Dangerfield splitting the pack. Hawkins, bit of nimble work from the big man and the efficient conversion. 21 seconds, and by this stage, the margin, 28 points. Only a couple of minutes later, it was over five goals when Dangerfield had his first of the evening, the first of two remarkable check side shots from very, very tight in the forward pocket, calmly threaded that one. By this stage, the Cats were so dominant in virtually every statistical category, it wasn't funny. But the insult for the Pies continued. Hawkins threaded one from the boundary about halfway through the quarter. Dangerfield had the second of those check side shots. By this stage, it's out to eight goals. And then Cam Guthrie from straight in front, nine goals. Uh, the statistical... Bro, and that, that goal by Cam Guthrie, that came from a... Pass from maybe Duncan, who also got a pass from maybe Dangerfield. But it was basically chipping the ball around to unmarked men in the forward 50. Certainly the last one was of those kicks was Duncan to Guthrie. And he actually went backwards a bit. And I thought, gee, Mitch Duncan, you're a beautiful kick. Why are you kicking to Guthrie? Uh, we saw why when Guthrie kicked it, it was arrows straight and right over the umpire's head. But at that point, you are really playing against an opposition that doesn't even have the either the spirit, the energy or the wherewithal to pick up men in their own defensive 50 that are just standing loose from, you know, to set passes. It, it, that is... That's Bush League. It was terrible, wasn't it? 
It was. And you mentioned Mitch Duncan. He was absolutely prolific. He had 19 disposals to the halftime break. Uh, Dangerfield, incredibly dangerous near those goals. Menegola, Guthrie, uh, and Tom Hawkins. He wins plenty of the ball for such a big guy. And those stats we talked about uh, at half time in this game, the Cats had had 78 more disposals. The inside 50s were 25 to 11. They doubled the pies for clearances. Um, stoppage clearances, they trebled them. Uncontested ball. This was the one that really blew out at half time. 125 to 58 uncontested possession. Uh, the Pies, the only category they were winning was the hitouts, and uh, they weren't certainly taking advantage of them. And they just couldn't get their hands on the footy. Their leading disposal winner at the halftime break was Taylor Adams. And he hadn't even broken uh, double figures, nine disposals for him. So a very forlorn lot indeed. And the scoreboard said it all. Nine goals, eight to one goal. Sorry, nine goals, six to one goal straight. 15 scoring shots to one, which finally made the entire second half pretty academic. The third quarter was played out like... Everyone just wanted the thing over. Not a single goal scored, so we're not going to waste any time talking about that quarter. It certainly opened up in the last quarter with the pressure off and the result of four-goal conclusion. The Pies uh, managed to, well, respectability, or they at least managed to put a bit of scoreboard um, pressure on with four goals in that last quarter. But the Cats had already kicked the first three of that last term. In fact, the margin at one stage was 73 points, which in this uh, year of shortened games is quite remarkable. The Pies kicking three in a row, but the Cats finishing off with the last four themselves. Uh, just as smashing this, I'll let you finish off the review, finally. but just a couple of stats to throw at you. Final tallies, Geelong, 140 more uncontested possessions, 156 more disposals. Uh, the inside 50s, 46 to just 30 for the Pies. Contested ball, they won by 21. Uh, clearances, they won by 13. Marks inside 50, 17 to 5. Um, just uh, And the marks, overall marks, perhaps this was the most glaring one. 134 marks to the Cats. It's a huge amount. Collingwood, 46. I'll let you finish off this review. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of talking about the game and performances by individual players, especially for Collingwood, uh, let's just, it goes without saying, there was not a decent Collingwood player on the ground. Adams probably tried hard. Chris, okay. Anybody else, you're just really looking to fill out the best player column for Collingwood without any reason because they all got beaten. They all... You know, a couple of them chirped up when the game was in junk time in the last quarter. Big deal. Uh, amazingly, I've never... When they came back at halftime to the Fox Footy Studios, Gary Lyon, Jonathan Brown, and especially Nick Rewalt, they were scathing. They, Nick Rewalt could barely get the words out. It was like he was um, back on the field captaining a football team again. He was just ferocious. And, you know, I've, I've got to ask the question... Collingwood are a proud team. We saw them play the week before. They were gallant. They are not going to just spit the dummy or spit the throw the towel in or spit out the dummy 
10 minutes into a game as it appeared. So what was happening there? And, I mean, I, I'm, they're not going to run to microphones and make excuses, but I just get a sense that they have not been able to handle going to Perth, sitting in a hotel for seven days, coming out, giving their all, flying back from Perth and playing against Geelong. And before Collingwood supporters think, yeah, yeah, that's right, it's another conspiracy against Collingwood. It's got nothing to do with Collingwood. It's got to do with the team that finished eighth on the ladder having to play the West Coast Eagles in these difficult circumstances with the AFL not considering how difficult it was. And you know what? On top of everything, Rowan, that impossible trip that Collingwood would have avoided, by the way, if they beat Port Adelaide in the last round. So their destiny was in their own hands. They knew what was ahead of them. Why on earth did the AFL knowing how difficult that situation was, played Geelong on the Thursday of the first week of the finals and the Collingwood West Coast game on the Saturday, giving Geelong an extra two days to prepare for this match. Uh, Look, very, very valid point. Unfair. Uh, well, unfair. Well, my answer is that uh, like a lot of this season, uh, they were making it up as they went. Um I think they've overall been pretty good logistically in what is a pretty difficult situation, but they probably didn't get this one right. As to Collingwood, I'm not sure we should be too scathing about them. I mean, again, uncharted territory. It's a side not so much returning from the other side of the country, but having been literally cooped up in a hotel for a week prior to that first game. That was their grand final. We used to see a lot more of this Back, you know, when I say back in the old days, but uh, you and I can both remember a lot of finals where once one team recognises they're not going to get over the line, they just completely and utterly uh, drop their bundle. And there's no doubt that's what Collingwood did last uh, night. I don't think, uh, well, we'll talk about this in their season review. That is the second final wrapped up a whopping 68-point win to the Cats they go through to a preliminary final against Brisbane at the Gabba. The other preliminary final, Port Adelaide, up against Richmond at Adelaide Oval. There are two semi-finals thoroughly reviewed, but we have more thoroughness for you because there are four teams out of this top eight whose seasons are now over. We're going to review those seasons right now. On Footyology, wrap around. Our review starts with the team officially uh, post-finals finishing in eighth spot on the ladder. That is the Western Bulldogs. They finish eighth, having won 10 games, losing eight games. They had a percentage of 106.7. In terms of points scored, they finished ranked sixth. Uh, Fewest points conceded, they finished 10th, about mid-table. Interesting side, the Doggies, finally. At their best, they gave everyone headaches. They were a team that loved to generate attack off the half-back line. When they were on song, we uh, inevitably saw the likes of Caleb Daniel, Jason Johannesson, even uh, people like Aidan Crozier having a big part to do with that dominance. Certainly no trouble getting their hands on the footy with that deep and talent-laden midfield. They were fourth for disposals on the differentials, second for uncontested possession. So very uh, keen to get that ball on the outside. 
Inside 50s, uh, they were sixth, so uh, not shy of generating opportunities and weren't necessarily that inefficient with converting those opportunities. They were seventh for percentage of scores from inside 50 entries. What do you make of this, Susan? Well, just uh, statistically, I have a look at sort of players that missed out and key players, how many games they did miss. Uh, Lockie Hunter, eight. Dunkley, six. Toby McLean, who will miss most of the next year, if not all of it, six. Norton, six. And Eastern Wood, five. Uh, their leading goal kickers were Mitch Wallace, 25 goals. Aaron Norton, who missed six games on 15 goals. Only four players kicked 10 or more goals for the season and their problem was up forward, really. Unfortunately, Josh Bruce, who played 18 games, Rowan, only kicked 14 goals. And when you consider that he kicked six of them in one game, um, we have a problem, don't we? The... Other interesting conundrum facing the Bulldogs is with players that have been on the list for a little while. Lewis Young, Tory Dixon, Jackson Trengove, Josh Jackie, Lockie Young, Will Hayes, Billy Gowers, Ben Kavara, Lynn Jong and Taylor Duray all played three or less games this year. Yeah, well, Dixon has pulled the pin. He has pulled the pin, that is correct. Yeah. where And uh, I guess Suckling and Lloyd will also be looked at. Where to for that group of players? And are they going to make some, you know, are they are they almost forced to make a pretty incisive cut into that list? Well, they seem to have been uh, in this conundrum, if you like, about key forwards. Uh, even before they won their premiership. Uh, as we all know, they won that flag in 2016 w- really without a dominant forward at all. Uh, certainly hasn't been for want of trying, hence the recruitment of Josh Bruce. But he was very disappointing, wasn't he? Had it not been for Mitch Wallace's re-emergence as a, a, you know, a pressure goal-kicking uh, forward, um, they would have really struggled to generate nearly enough scores. Norton... You've got injury issues there. But is he a genuine forward? Is he better down back? I mean, they're still probably answering that question. That's certainly the area they've got to be concentrating on. I think there's nothing much wrong with their midfield at all. The likes of McRae, uh, Liberatore, Dunkley, Bontempelli, of course, outstanding season from him. A full season from Hunter. They're not and your defic- man, of course. Oh, yeah, East Melbourne's finest mullet. How could I not have mentioned him? Terrific season. In fact, fair contender is in the entire AFL. Don't think anyone else has had a better two seasons uh, to start their career than Bailey Smith has no, it's been had. Great. He's been terrific. English in the ruck. He has his moments. He can still get really chewed up and spat out. So they'll be looking for him to put on a bit more size and perhaps a bit more resilience. Their defence, yes, it creates. Does it actually defend well enough? Well, like I said, Fewest points conceded. They were only mid-table there. So probably need to tighten up a bit. Maybe uh, another close-checking defender. Alex Keith was a reasonable pickup for them. I don't think in personnel terms they want for too much, but that key forward area is still a problem. Can they resurrect Bruce? Is he going to... Is that just a a one-off aberration? Can Norton continue to improve as a key forward? 
No, well, their, their solution comes with great hope for their academy of picking Jamara Eugle Hagen, who's a, a key position youngster touted by many as a top three draft selection. So they'll need to show some patience. Any key position player taken in a draft has to be given a couple of years. Or uh, Then again, we've seen with the King brothers and some other precocious youngsters, given their need, we might see Jamara Eugle Hagen playing senior football earlier rather than later, Rowan. We could indeed, certainly some huge wraps on him. That is the Western Bulldogs uh, wrapped up. They're in an interesting position. They are back in the finals hunt, but for a second year in a row, uh, straight in, straight out. So a bit of work to be done there. Let's move on to the next club. Coming in officially in seventh position was West Coast. They won 12 games. They lost six, including that uh, heartbreaking elimination final loss to Collingwood. Uh, decent percentage, 117%. Uh, in terms of points scored, they finished ranked seventh. Fewest points conceded, they ranked sixth. Interesting case study, this one. Uh, didn't get their hands on the footy enough, which might say a bit about the depth or lack thereof in their midfield. Only ranked 15th for disposals on the differentials. Contestable, still a bit of an issue for them, ranked only 12th for that. Certainly no problem with the clearances due almost entirely to the return to full form and fitness from Nick Netanui. What a fantastic season he had. The Eagles were ranked third on the differentials for clearances. Didn't generate as many inside 50 entries as you would think only ranked 15th there. So that um, tallies with that failure to get their hands on the footy enough. Pretty efficient with what chances they did create. They were fifth for percentage of scores generated from those inside 50 opportunities. Uh, but a lot about their season finally wrapped up with where they were domiciled. We remember their start to the year in the hubs was pretty awful they certainly came good towards the end of that, carried that form over into a prolonged stay at home. In fact, they ended up on an eight-game winning streak. And at that stage, you were thinking, well, they could win it all. But again, always in the back of your mind was the knowledge they were going to have to go back to a hub arrangement. Then they got hit by injuries. And a critical time of the year, they were without the likes of Shuey, uh, without Redden. They had Kennedy injured. Uh, Jamie Cripps was, uh, left the hub because his partner had a baby. They couldn't take a trick on the personnel front, got them all back for that final, and then, of course, just failed to get over the line against Collingwood. So, for me, Finey, West Coast is a bit of a case of what if. I don't think you can look at their season and go, it was a total disappointment. Uh, it's one of those seasons, I think, where the complications of the living, training and playing arrangements certainly played a bigger part for them than I think a lot of their rivals. How do you see it? Well, if, if that's the case, then they are um, certainly showing a soft underbelly because they were gifted that lovely stretch of games at home during the middle of the season where they were able to total up those eight consecutive wins, something that no Victorian side was afforded. So 
they were much better served in hub life and home ground status than most of the teams in the competition. You're right, they suffered certainly later on, last third of the season, a big blow to the midfield. Shuey missed five. Yo, the last nine games of the year. Hutchings missed 16 games of the season, though we don't know whether they are going to re-sign him or not. Redden, five games. Cripps, uh, four. McGovern, with various maladies, complaints and strains, missed six games. Waterman, importantly, missed nine. And maybe the most important of the lot was Willie Rioli missing the entire season because they only had four players who kicked 10 or more goals. Interestingly, though, they did it with some import. Only club to have two players, 30 goals plus. Kennedy, 30. Darling, uh, Kennedy, 34. Darling, 30. Liam Ryan, 26. And Oscar Allen, 18. But no other player kicked more than nine goals. So... That, look, they used 37 players during the season. Uh, I should mention that the Bulldogs used 40, by the way, equal top in the competition. And I just think that, that if, if we can sort out the Willie Rioli business, I'm sure Kennedy and Darling go on for another season. Liam Ryan really arrived. Uh, for those probably within the club, they were fully aware of his range of abilities far beyond just flying high for marks but his wonderful kicking vision elusive football skills mark him as probably a top 10 player moving on if everything tracks the way it has been so they've got so many exciting footballers capable footballers um, top class footballers a graders as you say Nat Nui highlight uh, sort of headlining the the act that they just need to keep their head in the game, I reckon, because I think that's where they missed it this season, Rowan, between yeah. the years. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they could uh, probably just refine their game style a bit too. We know they like to hang on to the footy. I think opponents have got a bit better at slowing them down. And I mentioned before the inside 50 ranking of just 15. I mean, they've got those big, you know, strong marking key forwards you need to isolate those guys in a bit of space with quicker delivery. I think that's something that can be cleaned up easily enough with uh, a fair bit of work on that over the off-season. Look, they're not, they're not super young. They're not super old either. And I think they're, they smack of quality. Uh, I think they're still going to be thereabouts next year, but it doesn't mean they don't have some issues to attend to. Rowan, just quickly, should they be in the market for a Brad Crouch? I would have thought that's a perfect type of player that they should be putting their hand up for. Yeah, I agree. Uh, particularly if Hutchings isn't going to be continued with. Midfield depth is certainly an issue. I mean, the quality they have midfield, no doubting it. Do they have enough numerically? I've got my doubts. All right, that is the Eagles talked about. Let's move on to our next club. In sixth position on the final AFL ladder is the Collingwood Football Club. They won 10 games. They lost eight games, including two finals added to those respective tallies. They drew one game, that uh, soporific draw against Richmond uh, back in round two. They finished with a percentage of 109.5. Had some issues scoring. They were ranked only 13th for points scored. Terrific team defence, though, reflected in their defensive ranking for fewest points conceded of third. 
no trouble getting their hands on the footy, the pies. They finished second on the differentials for disposals, second on the differentials for uncontested possession, second on the differentials for contested possession. So a good mix of inside and outside there. Uh, what wasn't good for them statistically? Well, I mentioned the points for ranking of only 13. For a side with a big name Ruckman in Brody Grundy, they were only 12th for clearances, which might tell you a bit about the sort of season he had. Not overly efficient percentage of scores from those inside 50 entries, ranked only 15th. Who were the big performers for the Pies in 2020? Well, uh, one of our um, uh, audience in Footyology Final Siren, I thought, had a good handle on this final. He talked about who improved their games for the Pies in 2020. Adams, I think, fair to say, went to another level, rewarded with All-Australian selection. Braden Maynard went to another level. Uh, John Noble uh, really emerged. He was impressive for them. On the flip side of that, I think Brody Grundy really had his struggles throughout the year, and he looked pretty tired and dispirited by the end of their finals loss. So sixth spot for the Magpies, that is continuing a small but gradual decline from beaten grand finalist to beaten preliminary finalist to this year, beaten semi-finalist. Where do you see that trajectory taking them next year and what sort of year do you think they had? Well, just looking at excuses, which is key players injured, they certainly had their travails, especially because they came simultaneously. I'm talking about how how missing 14 games to goey nine, side bottom nine, Trelaw nine. Gee, that's a big chunk of talent out of that team. And I'd say there would have been five weeks maybe or six weeks where all four of them weren't playing. That makes the going pretty tough. Pendlebury also missed four during the season. They had ten, uh, seven or more, pardon me, they had seven players kick 10 or more goals but not a lot at the pointy end with Majacek kicking 25 and Cox 14. Now, here's an interesting, and they use 40 players this year, equal most for any club with the Bulldogs and Hawthorne. Um, here's an interesting one. I think Collingwood supporters have long felt, I've certainly heard this, that they're, they're frustrated with their goal kicking, that they tend to be wayward in front of goal. Majacek 25-9. Mason Cox, 14 goals, two. Dacos, 10 goals, three. Taylor Adams, 10 goals, three. That's so they had a, lot of, had a lot of accurate goal kickers, don't they? Whether or not uh, Majacek and Cox yield enough in the goals column is arguable, but at least certainly in Cox's case, when he has the ball in his hand, he's a very reliable kick. The problem is that football, you know, if you're not moving forwards, you're going backwards in footy, aren't you? So we know that Port Adelaide and Brisbane uh, are relatively young and are on an upward upward grasp, no question, I think. I think the same could be said, really, for um, St Kilda. They're a relatively young team. They made great strides this year. Richmond are a professional side and not particularly old. Geelong, we know, is an old team but looking to improve again next year. The Doggies, uh, they're a pretty good team and have a 
strong case for being a younger, more progressive side than Collingwood. What I'm saying is that there'll be pressure from Carlton, who were ambitious, Fremantle, who finished the year well, Sydney, who get players back potentially and look good. There is going to be pressure from beneath and Collingwood need to rejig that forward line because it does seem an injury is part of it, but maybe they do have some injury-prone players as well. It, it seems as though that slightly ever-diminishing returns since that great tilt at a premiership a couple of years ago mean that they'll be fighting for their spot in the eight rather, I think, than pressing for a spot in the top four unless they hit that trade week hard. They may. They may get a Gunston or a Cameron, and I'll change my tune. Yeah, that would make a big difference. Uh, and I think that's that's spot on, actually. Quality. Uh, just having a look at their list now, and, you know, they're hardly alone here, but the quality at the bottom end of their 22 some weeks really suffers, I think. And in terms of that, who's improving, it does seem to be a number of players that are sort of marking time and who've been around a fair while too. And in that category, I guess I'd put Levi Greenwood, Travis Varco is another one. Then you've got some younger blokes. Uh, are they going to get a lot better? You know, say a guy like Rupert Wills played eight games this year. Is he potentially part of their best 22? Can he keep improving? Darcy Cameron, can't hard to see him as more than a bit of a stopgap, I would have thought. The Brown brothers, plenty of promise there, but then Tyler only played nine games. Callum appears to be making more progress. Imagine... Look, he, he gives everything. Is he quality? One you know, that, Rowan, that's an interesting one because there was that moment and he's just unlucky. This Sometimes sometimes a player's future is encapsulated in a moment and it's, a, it's unfair. But when he got caught by Dangerfield in that second quarter in the final against Geelong, I sort of felt oh, maybe a bit out outmatched at finals level. Yeah, and no, it, I... I I agree with that. Uh, I mean, one one guy we haven't mentioned who's come into the picture who is quality, I think, is Isaac Kainor. He's yep. yes. A long-termer for them. Tom Phillips, I think, was a bit disappointing. Didn't really continue the gains he'd made in the past couple of years. So there's a few... What, what, what do you make of Hoskin Elliott and Josh Thomas? Uh, again, for me, falling that... I'm not sure they're going to get any better than they are category. I mean, they're guys who've both been around, what, six, seven eight seasons now. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Hoskin Elliott really is becoming cream on the cake. And you know what? You've, you've got a big cake to put up with a player like that. And I think he might come under some sort of pressure because Collingwood are not good enough to, uh, to be able to afford a, a luxurious finisher in the forward line. Yep, certainly got a bit of thinking to do, Nathan Buckley and co, over the summer months. All right, one team left to go in this review. Well, they made finals for the first time since 2011. They won a final for the first time since 2010. And they finished the season officially in fifth place. Pretty good effort, really, by the St Kilda Football Club. Uh, won 11 games for the season, lost eight. That is, of course, including two finals, one of each. 116.3 was their percentage. They were pretty decent at scoring the Saints. They finished fourth for points scored this season. 
Defensively, about mid-table. They finished ninth in terms of fewest points conceded. Reasonably efficient with their scoring opportunities, which makes that miserable-looking scoreline from Friday night uh, even a little more ironic. They were sixth for percentage of scores from inside 50 entries. Uh, eighth for contested ball on the differentials. Eleventh for uncontested ball. Defensively, they were pretty reasonable. They were fourth on the tackle count on the differentials. And not a bad stoppage team either, finishing sixth there. Um, the gambit of picking up so many recruits, experienced recruits from other clubs, I think paid off big time. Uh, most of those blokes contributed at some stage and a couple of them beautifully. We had Howard, we had Jones, we had Ryder, we had Hill and we had Butler and all featured prominently when the Saints were at their, at their best. You support them finally, you follow them as closely as anyone. How do you see their season 2020? Just quickly, they were pretty fortunate with injuries. Two key players that missed chunks of the season, Hanabry with 11, and you saw his importance during the finals. Gresham with eight games. That was a, a heck of a loss. One of St Kilda's best, but fair, fair, fair to be honest here and say that uh, they were better served than most clubs injury-wise during the year. They had 10, oh, sorry, nine players kicked 10 or more goals. That's a good number, nine. And the headline act there was Butler with 29. Great season, All-Australian nominee and a very exciting start to the career for Max King. Kicked 22, but even more than kicking 22, Fans were able to see he is one of the taller forwards in the competition, you know, um, over 200 centimetres, but incredibly good off the deck. Uh, quick and plays the ball off the ground, which means that he's not a liability when the ball hits the ground. So St Kilda can have another tall in that forward line and not be found out. Very important. And also competitive in the air, reliable in that he gets a hand on the ball, giving the likes of Butler and to a lesser extent, a Kent or a Loney, opportunities at the fall. I mean, it has to be remembered at the start of the season, most people would not have had, in fact, nobody really had Nick Caulfield in St Kilda's best 22. He not only played every game, he has really established himself as a very fine footballer, um, excellent defender and well worth his top 10 pick. Hunter Clark continues on the real steps he took, major steps he took last season, and he looks set for a, a, a prominent career. Patton played every game, another good servant. So, well, Can I just chip in there for a sec? Because one thing I did really like about them, and I think it was ritually underestimated by people, not people like yourself, but the rest of us, their defensive group, I thought, was really impressive, and you've just gone through most of them, really. Wilkie, Howard, Long, uh, Patton, Caulfield and Clark, you know, they defended staunchly. They rebounded pretty well. As a group, I thought they worked brilliantly. I thought that was an underrated part of their uh, arsenal this season. And it is a young group. You know, it is a group which has a... And I think defensive groups, the real great defensive back sixes that win premierships and playing grand finals have a long history together and and really understand each other innately, don't they? You saw that with Hawthorne 
Um, sure, they had they brought Brian Lake in, but really guys like Birchall and Hogs off the back line and, and Stratton, they, they just knew each other's movements so well that that becomes instinctual. So that is promising. Look, it has to be admitted, one thing that St Kilda need to asterisk is the enormous return from Paddy Ryder. And as great as that was, and he is going around next season, that is not a long-term fix. So they need to develop another Ruckman because that worked well. Marshall will continue to develop. And I think they are looking for another tall forward maybe to uh, work with King and play the Marshall role and let Marshall ruck in the future. But didn't Ryder have a good season, though? You can't count on that for, I think, any more than one extra year. Just, I want to ask you this question too, Ree, their forward setup. What sort of year do you think Membry had? Um, not brilliant in terms of, you know what? He's, his endeavour was as good as ever. His work rate was as good as ever. Just slightly, his hands were off this year. He didn't quite clunk as many marks that he went for, even through to the final where uh, there was a, a chess mark he dropped, I think, in that last quarter when St. Yeah. was still um, sort of some mathematical hope. But he was just off a fraction. His kicking was still good. And he's a, he's a very handy type of forward because he can mark. He's not short, but he runs hard enough and competes hard enough that you wouldn't necessarily call him like a third tall in terms of mobility. So, yeah, just off off a fraction, if not. And I'm, is that what you're alluding to? Because it's well picked up if you have. I think uh, most, people, most people just sort of watch it. Oh, yeah, memory's good. No, yeah, he was off a fraction this year. I thought he was a little bit. The other observation is I, I feel sorry for him because it, I always feel like he's got to adapt his game around the other key forwards that they have. He's the guy who they sort of fit the others in and then they go, okay, Membry, well, because of that, you need to do this. Yeah, and I think he's very capable of that. He's a really hard worker. Um, he's got that strange two-footed jump for the ball that catches defenders out quite a lot. But, you know, uh, there's room for Membry in every AFL side. He's a, he's a really good foil, and I think that's what you're alluding to, that he's sometimes forced to play Batman's Robin, but yep. he plays that role pretty well. A heavily tattooed Robin. Um, yeah, no, and a, a, um, oh, well, I don't want to go into the the um, suggestive nature of having your ward as your personal offsider and making him wear underpants outside his tights. Yeah, no, don't do that. Uh, he's definitely a heart and soul player. All right. That is the Saints wrapped up. So there are our four uh, bottom half of the eight teams. There are four teams left in the premiership race, the four teams which finished in the top four spots on the ladder post home and away. Uh, We will be back on Thursday to preview both of those big preliminary finals. A quick shout out to our sponsors, please, Mark. The burger people are called Andrews. The building people are called West Point Properties. The burgers are great. The houses are superb. 144 Bridport Street for the burgers. Don't go there for a house. West Point Properties called Nick Spartels. Don't ask him for a burger. Just don't confuse the two. Incredibly succinct um, plug by your 
standards. Uh, wonderful sponsors, both wonderful audience, you lot out there. Please uh, help to continue supporting Footyology either at the ACAST supporter page where you are listening to this podcast or at our Patreon page where a small monthly donation will enable you to, uh, well, you can do it if you don't pay the donation, but we just need your support so you can watch the live streams, listen to the podcast, read all the terrific content on the Footyology website. Some great stuff coming up over the next week. I know this because I've been pouring over it this morning in among getting ready for this podcast. And Rowan, been, yes. and Rowan, also, also yes. Yes. if you're wealthy, ageing and poorly and you have no next of kin, why not bequeath everything to footyology? Well, you could do that. It would be uh, a very benevolent sort of gesture and would be very warmly received by... And, and very contested by some distant relative. No, well, I think most people would agree that we, uh, being the people that they've turned to in their hours of need, are far more deserving of that inheritance. Uh, I don't know why we even went there, but uh, let's get away from it very quickly. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope your team won. If they didn't, better luck next season, and we'll be back to talk to you on Thursday. See you later. Thanks for listening.